Hi, you have reached Jan. Hello. Hi, Granny. Hello, hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, Just got to the phone in time. <laughs> well, that's good because you're you're on my podcast. Oh, I am. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> I expect so. I don't know. Don't really know what a podcast is. <laughs> well, this this will be a learning experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to phone you uh, because uh, you you had something that you wanted me to ask the mayor of Winnipeg uh, when I when I spoke to him. I think basically it was about the opening of uh, Portage and Maine mm-hmm. and the newspaper today. If there's lots about it and lots of arguments about it, and oh, yeah. Well, so, you had some pretty strong arguments uh, uh, about <laughs> it. Uh, can, can you lay them out for me? Well, I just think that it is ugly the way it is and that it could be made to look better. Late afternoon, another day is nearly done. A darker gray is breaking through a lighter one. A thousand sharpened elbows in the underground That hollow hurried sound Of feet on polished floor And in the dollar store The clerk is closing up And counting loonies trying not to say I hate Winnipeg well, when you uh, when you first came to Winnipeg, uh, what what year was that? Uh, nineteen fifty-seven. Right. So uh, you were there when uh, when Portage and Maine was open. Uh, oh yes. And you were there when they closed it. Yes. When I was down there quite often, and uh, you know, never didn't find it a problem. Well, like I think you were saying that uh, if they did open up the corners, uh, the the intersection to pedestrians, that there, there's business opportunity, like you were talking about cafes and that sort of thing. Well, that's my thought anyway. Yeah. Uh, if they could do that, if they could agree to. So this this Portage and Main debate is going to come to City Hall probably uh, within the next year or so. Um, oh, it's just been going on and on. I mean, there are uh, all sorts of discussions about it. Mm-hmm. But they're talking money now, so they're calling for council to authorize spending $3.5 million on the intersection, $1.5 million to develop plans to reopen the intersection in 2019, $1.5 million to upgrade the underground concourse, and 500000 for improvements to the plaza space in front of the Richardson building. And so if you could give uh, City Hall a, a message about Portage and Maine, what would you tell them? I would like to see it opened again. I, I admit the, there would be a lot that would have to be done to make it work, but I'd like to see them try. Mm-hmm. Oh, Portage and Maine. I mean, I know it's known as the windiest corner and the coldest corner in any city in the north, but that's fine. We can take pride in that, too. You know, <laughs> people can go there just for the fun of it, you know, <laughs> right. to say they have. So, yes, you know, I've frozen my toes at Portage and Maine, too. <laughs> hate Winnipeg. 
Granny, uh, it, it was good to talk to you about this. Uh, I'm going to get back to work, but uh, could you do one more thing for me? Could you say, this is Spacing Radio? Absolutely. This is Spacing Radio. Broadcasting from the Broom Closet at 401 Richmond Street West, Toronto, Ontario, I'm Glenn Bowerman and you're listening to the official podcast of Spacing Magazine. Coming up on the show, we have a very special episode planned. It's taken us a little bit, and uh, we think you're really going to enjoy it. We are going to devote the entire time to a single issue that's been affecting Winnipeg for almost 40 years. And to help tell the story, uh, we have enlisted the help of special guest host Oliver Moore, who is the urban transportation reporter for The Globe and Mail. Winnipeg is uh, near and dear to my heart. I grew up just outside of it. I spent many a weekend there. Uh, We're really excited to bring this to you, so please do stand by. So, Oliver, thank you for joining me. Pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to this topic, uh, something near and dear to my heart, and uh, I think uh, our listeners will be surprised uh, about uh, um, every every Canadian city has its sort of uh, great debacle around urban transportation, and, and this has been Winnipeg's for about 40 years. Uh, so for, first, just to set the table for, for people listening, um, I wonder if you, you could describe, uh, you recently wrote a long piece for the Globe and Mail. Uh, can you sort of describe uh, Winnipeg as it is today in the downtown well, the Winnipeg downtown, I would say, has improved dramatically in the last 20 years or so. Um, but Winnipeg's downtown still has a lot, of, um, a lot of problems rooted in its history. If you walk around the downtown, you see sort of the urban planning solutions of the past that maybe didn't work out so well. There's a, there's a large mall called Portage Place, which I think at the time was considered this, this great thing that they were opening. And now it's a real deadening effect. You know, there's a, a hotel on Portage as well that's you know, perched on top of seven or eight stories of parking, what Winnipeg calls a parking structure, or parkade, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's been attempts to improve the downtown a number of times, and I think it's a, it's a work in progress. I think it's probably better than it was 20 years ago, but it certainly has a lot of problems still. I mean, you know, especially when you look at the, the history of Winnipeg, where there's these grand buildings when it had its real heyday before the, was, I guess, around the time of the First World War, just before the First World War. Mm-hmm. It certainly is nowhere close to that. Yeah, they were going for a sort of Chicago of the North thing. And for a while, you can see sort of uh, evidence of that in the Exchange District, which has managed to maintain a lot of its uh, heritage stock. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's fallen on hard times. Uh, in the story, uh, someone compares it in the 80s and 90s to looking sort of uh, like Detroit, uh, no disrespect to Detroit. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's uh, Detroit's got a lot of positive attributes, but I think most cities wouldn't necessarily want to be in the economic place Detroit is right now. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Uh, and, and in terms of the actual intersection, Portage and Main itself, uh, what, is, what is the current state of Portage and Main? Well, as you say, I mean, I read about transportation. Obviously, that's in all forms. That's, that's driving, that's walking, that's cycling. And walking, of course, is a really important thing for most cities. I mean, uh, many cities are really recognizing the importance of walking and that everyone is, on some level, a pedestrian. Um, and about a year ago, a year and a half ago, I was going through Winnipeg, and I was driving through that intersection, and I sort of suddenly thought, you can't walk across here. Mm-hmm. There's no <laughs> obvious way even to get through the intersection. Uh, and then this past summer, I was there again, and I was looking into this because there are literally, there are concrete barriers around Portage and Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, they're dressed up with flowers, and so they look like planters, but they are 
for the purpose of stopping you walking to the intersection. I mean, you could do it. You could just jump over. And for journalistic purposes, I did cross at Porter Germain. Respect. It's uh, it's not an easy place to cross. I mean, I'm a pretty champion road crosser. Yeah. Um, but I would not want to cross there if I was a senior, if I was less spry, if I was carrying heavy items. I mean, there's two lanes of turning traffic in a number of directions. And all the research shows how much more dangerous that is for pedestrian when you have multiple lanes of turning traffic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very hostile intersection if you're a pedestrian. And in fact, from the city's perspective until very recently, it's not even hostile. It's, it's, you're simply not allowed there. There's, yeah. there's an underground mall and you're deliberately sent through the underground mall. It was, it was a deal back in the seventies with the, the uh, building owners at the corner, you know, they'll build a little mall underground and then they'll close the upper level or the street level and that'll force pedestrians through the, the, the mall. Yeah. I'm not sure how well it's worked. Uh, and the building owners themselves now say, as the, the, the 40 year lease for that, um, that plan sort of comes to its conclusion, the building owners themselves are saying, let's, let's change what the setup, it's not working. Yeah. For me personally, and ironically, uh, when I was in Winnipeg to, to work on this project, uh, I, uh, I was on my way, way to city hall to speak with the mayor. I was making good time, but I, I took a wrong turn at main street and had to double back. And because I couldn't just cross at the intersection, I was actually, I had to sprint the last little bit just to get to the interview on time. And, uh, a security guard found me uh, very sweaty. <laughs> I mean, you know, it is definitely an inconvenience for pedestrians. You know, sure, you could just walk a block in the other, you know, uh, the other direction and cross there to signal. That's an option. You can go down underneath. It does take you out of your way. I mean, it's also interesting, though, that every side in this debate massively exaggerates to make their point. You know, the people who are uh, who would like to have crossing at Portage and Maine, they'll say it's, you know, it's like an eight or nine minute delay. Mm-hmm. And it's nowhere close to that. And the people who don't want it say it'll be catastrophic for traffic. And there'll be some impact for sure. But the impact on traffic is often, as we find in urban um, situations, often not as bad as was forecast. And so, you know, the truth is somewhere in between. Uh, but there's no doubt that it is an inconvenience for pedestrians at that intersection. There's no, there's no question. So now what we're going to do is we're going to listen to a, a little history of the intersection. Uh, the voices you're going to hear are first uh, urbanist and architect uh, based out of Winnipeg, Brent Bellamy. And uh, then we'll hear from uh, Mayor, uh, Mayor Brian Bowman himself. It's been almost 40 years now since the, they closed the, the intersection. It's the key intersection in the city. It's, there's no intersect, single intersection in any city, I think, that is more important to that city. All our roads sort of lead to Portage in Maine. It's where the West really started. In the 70s, there was a decision to, to close the intersection to uh, pedestrians uh, in order to uh, make a, a, a deal with the property developers in the area so they could invest in the, uh, in the underground path. Uh, so Winnipeg Square in particular and the roundabout that's under Portage in Maine. It's such a critical intersection for the downtown itself. And part of the, the deal that we're still living with uh, requires, a, if, if there are to be any changes to the intersection, uh, my understanding is that the property owners um, uh, have effectively a veto to making that change. It has this really symbolic place in Winnipeg's history. And when we have protests, when the Jets came back, we celebrated at Portage de Maine. They closed it down and people played street hockey. Um, when there's a big, you know, they did the big human flag thing there this year. It's it's a symbolic place in our hearts, and it's been turned into a freeway thoroughfare. Like it's a, it's an inter, a freeway interchange is what it's been, how it's been living for the last forty years. What's changed since the the 1970s, though, is the city has grown up. Uh, the city has become increasingly dense in, in its downtown. 
And uh, certainly in the last couple of years, we've had over a billion dollars of, of private sector investments in our downtown. What's happened is 15,000 people work at Portage in Maine, but it's the it has the most empty storefronts of any part of Portage Avenue, which goes all the way to Vancouver. Like, it's the biggest street in the city, and the downtown part of Portage Portage Avenue is the deadest because everybody is shoved underground. It's created a, a huge wall in the downtown and a divide between about four sections of the downtown. You can't you can't walk between them. So when a coffee shop opens 100, 200 meters away, you can't... People who are literally right on the other side, 250 meters away, don't use that coffee shop. It segregates it. So you have to have another coffee shop on the other side that serves that part of it. So it's created this incredible divide in the city. And uh, in terms of building a more connected downtown, uh, it has become clear and uh, from all of the property owners, every single property owner at that intersection now supports um, us moving forward and presenting a vision to to them and to the the city uh, to remove the barriers, but also to find ways for, for that intersection to do more for Winnipeg and our downtown. But, I mean, Winnipeg is a car city, and people worry about traffic, number one. And no matter how many arguments you make about quality of place and even renewal of the downtown, the overriding concern in the city is, how can I get to the suburbs as quickly as possible? This is going to add two minutes to my commute. It's going to be mayhem. They're worried about people getting hit by cars because it's there's so many people. But, I mean, there's arguments against it, pretty much every issue I've heard, every concern I've heard, there's a very clear rebuttal to it. But because commuting times are so important to so many people, that sort of trumps everything. Uh, Roughly 40 years of having uh, uh, an intersection closed to pedestrians that wasn't closed for for traffic flows. It it was closed simply for um, those investments to be made by the property owners. Well, the property owners now say, let's let's modernize it. Let's uh, Let's uh, give that area a lift and reinvest in it in a way that allows it to do more for our city is uh, is extremely encouraging. So it's an exciting time for Winnipeg's downtown. Now they're they're trying to draw people to actually live in in the downtown core. Winnipeg's downtown is a, a great place to uh, work and play. It's the home of the Jets. Uh, you know, there's the massive convention center, and there are massive developments being planned in in the downtown that are uh, really exciting. The politicians and a lot of the business owners there, um, and so. If the business owners are on side, which is sometimes one of the major hurdles, and uh, this seems to be the understood goal of, of Winnipeg at large is to develop their their downtown, this should be a slam dunk, but it's not. Well, I think uh, I, guess, I think it was Brent who made the point about commuting times are, are are key to a lot of people, and you know, and that's not unique to Winnipeg. I mean, to be fair to Winnipeg, there's a lot of debates whether it's um, you know taking down uh, you know the Bonaventure. Um, uh, elevated highway or elevated expressway in Montreal, whether it's a lot of the projects in Toronto, you know, the King Street streetcar, uh, whose time is more important? Is it the people on the streetcar or is it the people in the cars? The I Gardner mean, East. The Gardner East is another example of this. I mean, there's a lot of debates like this going on in a lot of cities. Um, and quality of life, as, as Brent said, 
can seem really kind of abstract by comparison to, you know, it will call, it will take me X minutes longer to get home. Um, but I think you're right that, that you know, the, the counterbalance here is the number of voices in favor of it. Um, you know, the business owners on, on the corner, that's, you know, that's a fairly persuasive argument from them. Um, the fact that there is this development in downtown Winnipeg, but, you know, I think one of the problems is that downtown Winnipeg for a lot of Winnipeggers is still seen as a sort of a sketchy, dangerous place you don't want to go to. Now, the counter argument is, well, that's why you want to develop it and improve it. But in the meantime, you've got a place that it doesn't have a really positive resonance for a lot of Winnipeggers. Um, and in fact, uh, you know, there's, you mentioned the exchange district. There's the East Exchange District as well as part of that. And I, and I certainly got the sense, and certainly no one was going to go on the record saying this, but I got the sense there were some people in the East Exchange District who felt the same way about you know, Portage. And they were okay with there being a bit of a physical barrier between themselves and some of the social issues you might see on Portage. Right. So I think you know, the downtown of Winnipeg has a real image problem. And although one of the ways to fix that is to develop it, it's, it's harder to find champions for it, harder to find people perhaps who are willing to give it the chance it might need um, with a project like this, especially if you're at the same time saying to them, but when you drive home to North Kildonan, it's going to take you X minutes longer to do so. Mm-hmm. It, it does require some champions if, if it's actually going to happen. Uh, some very strong opposition is personified by Councillor Jeff Brawadi. I managed to speak with him, uh, and uh, it, it didn't go the way that I thought it would, uh, mostly just because of his uh, social media presence. Uh, uh, I found a tweet uh, where he says, it doesn't matter if Portage and Maine opens next week, next year, or in five years. It will dramatically increase commute times for thousands daily. And recently he, uh, he tweeted at uh, the mayor uh, because he was upset that uh, an invitation to uh, uh, a tree lighting festival at City Hall uh, did not mention the word Christmas. So uh, I got a sense of this councillor, uh, who he was, what, what kind of politician. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't find that, and, and we're going to listen to what he had to say. Well, let me just start off by saying that I, I very much enjoy and support, you know, urban walkable areas. I love, you know, neat communities like our, our Corridon and Osborne Village, the Exchange District uh, here in Winnipeg, where things are very much at a pedestrian scale. There's lots of sidewalk cafes. They're very uh, oriented towards pedestrians. Um, the reality with Winnipeg is uh, Portage and Main Street our major uh, arterial roadways and used uh, very extensively uh, to move uh, people and goods, whether, uh, you know, trucks or buses or, or um, passenger vehicles uh, through through our downtown area. Yeah, I mean, it does move like 77,000 vehicle movements through that intersection every day. That That, that is the reality. Um, you know, if, if you were to reduce that, uh, that, reduce that capacity, uh, vehicles would tend to travel elsewhere through our downtown, which I don't think is, is desirable. I'd like to, you know, close down, say, uh, Arthur Street in the Exchange District in the summer and have, you know, markets there more often, for example, um, with, you know, if, if you closed uh, or if you reduce the capacity of Portage and Maine, more vehicles will travel down Waterfront Drive and a lot of other streets in our city. Um, I think it's better to keep uh, pedestrians and vehicles safely separated. And uh, Portage and Maine um, is, is such a, a key piece of the, of the network. Um, it's interesting. If you go to our uh, Centennial Concert Hall right now in their, in their foyer, we have a display of uh, the uh, concept for the arts district uh, that was done back in the 1960s, or perhaps even earlier. And it shows like a, a whole freeway along our waterfront. Had that been done, they would have destroyed all sorts of you know uh, amazing character heritage buildings. But instead, they've uh, preserved all those, all those buildings. And uh, you know we have some uh, we have a really neat massing of, uh, of preserved and, uh, and 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 cool heritage buildings in our downtown. 
Well, I, I think it is unique in a way that we don't have um, the major freeways through the core to take you from A to B. So, I mean, if you're, uh, you know, in, in uh, Chicago, for example, yeah, I mean, Michigan Avenue, the Miracle Mile, uh, very pedestrian-centric. There's areas, though, where they have separate underground roadways for uh, delivery of goods and services. So, I mean, it, it allows the uh, at-grade level to uh, to be more uh, pedestrian-friendly, huge investments. Same thing with, you know, the Big Dig in, in Boston a lot of, you know, multiple-level areas so that the uh, above-ground areas are, are, are more pedestrian-centric. Um, I'm trying to think of other cities here. Um, you know, I guess you've got the Gardner even coming, you know, pretty close into, uh, you know, the downtown core of, of, of Toronto. Uh, Winnipeg, Winnipeg just does not have that. And I'm not saying that's a, uh, a bad thing. It's just a, a Winnipeg thing. I don't think it's so much that the... Um, uh, the, the, the property owners are clamoring to have it opened. The mayor's really been pushing them, and he's been promising them uh, uh, various uh, incentives to do so. Uh, you know, both uh, major investments in terms of the at-grade uh, public amenities, as well as uh, the city of Winnipeg owns uh, part of the underground concourse. And you know what? It hasn't really been touched much since the 1970s, and it's probably due for some remodeling and some actual uh, structural repairs. Uh, I'm actually of the opinion that that work underground um, it's sort of almost like a, a, a typical suburban shopping mall in, in terms of its uh, style and look and, uh, and structure. Uh, I really believe that benefiting properties should be pay, paying a, a maintenance fee and an access fee to, to access this concourse. Uh, historically, um, the, the office towers at Portage and Maine have charged the, the highest rents in our, in our downtown core, and they've been able to do so because of the, uh, the access they have to the, the underground concourse, which is... Uh, I mean, in cold, cold winter days and hot, hot summer days, quite, uh, quite an attractive amenity. So not the usual doom and gloom that you might hear in uh, Toronto, for say, uh, about, you know, he doesn't mention the war on cars. Uh, it's, uh, he, he almost takes a sort of NIMBY approach, which is like, of course, I, I love walkable cities, and of course, uh, I love uh, pedestrian-friendly roads. I just don't want it here specifically. Yeah, I think one of the things I really found in Winnipeg was that this was it was an identity politics issue. I, mean, I, I definitely found people who I didn't really get the sense that they actually cared that much whether it opened or closed, <laughs> but they wanted to be seen to be on the side of it opening because that burners their say progressive credentials, or they wanted to be seen on the side of it not opening because that showed that they were on the side of commuters or suburban drivers or, or, you know, whichever these tribes we're talking about. I mean, it is, it is a very hot button issue, you know, as measured as some people are about it. I remember, you know, the first time I, I you know, mentioned a year and a half ago and on Twitter, I said something like, what, you, you can't walk across Portage and Maine? Mm-hmm. Is there a question mark or something like that? And I got this torrent of angry abuse from people in Winnipeg. Well, actually people from the suburbs around Winnipeg, yeah. typically, more or less telling me to shut up and go back to Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was there this past uh, year or the, the, a few months ago, someone said, you know, this is, this is the hottest issue uh, in Winnipeg. He said, you know, that McLean's article about Winnipeg being murder capital of the country. said that's nothing compared to the emotions that this brings out. Yeah. Uh, and so there's, a, you know, you do, you do see those emotions, but I also kind of feel that people are in some ways are going through the motions. Like they're, they're, they're playing a role on this issue more than really, really believing it. I think a lot of people don't really think about it that much. And maybe because this has been such a lengthy debate, I mean, 40 years uh, is a long time to debate whether or not people can walk across the street. Uh, Some of the hyperbole around this argument has gotten out of control. I just want to read you a tweet. Um, 
that uh, it was tweeted by the Winnipeg's Transit Union, uh, their official account. It was since deleted, but uh, it, it was a tweet directed at the mayor, and it said, Increase safety, common sense. When buses start hitting pedestrians, we'll be sure to let Mayor Bowman know why it happened. Hashtag self-agenda. I mean, that, Oliver, that's wild. Like That's a remarkable thing for a transit agency to put out. Uh, and it's also because it plays into... One of the great myths about this issue is that the intersection was closed for pedestrian safety. That, that comes up again and again. And everyone you talk to who knows the history of the issue, whether it's on the political side, archivists, um, architects, historians, everyone agrees that it was not about pedestrian safety. That, mm-hmm. that this, it's, you know, it's a perfectly laudable goal to make pedestrians safe in the city of Winnipeg. But that's not what this intersection closing was about. And that's not what keeping it closed is about. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a red herring exactly, but it's a convenient argument, perhaps, as opposed to the argument that maybe seems more self-serving. Absolutely. And I'm trying to imagine a a transit union, even in Toronto, where things can get a little hairy when we debate urban transportation. But, uh, you know, you you write a lot about uh, the need for uh, more signal crossings in in our inner suburbs, where where sometimes people are forced to cross mid-block because they don't want to walk for 10 minutes to the next stop. Uh, I'm trying to imagine the... (laughs) To TTC's union uh, tweeting at Mayor Tory that, like, you know what? You put this intersection here, it's not up to us if people get hit by a bus. <laughs> it seems like a very strange sort of communication. Um, I mean, yeah, they, I wouldn't imagine that from the TTC union, no. Yeah. As well, they, they, they since, you know, they deleted the tweet and they sort of dialed back their message. But then uh, a couple of days later, they said uh, that uh, if you open open the intersection to pedestrians, uh, that it, there'll be an increase in uh, assaults on their drivers. I saw that tweet and I thought, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I almost kind of laughed out loud because some, so much of the narrative, you know, at, say at City Hall in Toronto is that if you so put in a bike lane, that will slow down a driver. I mean, you know, like here's the, here's the argument as it plays out is that you put in a bike lane, that'll slow down drivers. Drivers will get angry at being slowed down. They'll become frustrated. They will do dangerous things. So actually bike lanes are dangerous. Mm. Um, this seems to be the same argument that, that, that transit riders, like apparently drivers in that example, are just these simmering, seething balls of rage that if something goes wrong, they're going to lash out. No, no, I don't know the statistics in Winnipeg and maybe they have an enormous number of assaults on their operators and obviously that shouldn't be happening. But I find it hard to imagine that modest transit delays will lead to any sort of appreciable and causal link to, you know, a lot of drivers getting hit by passengers. It just seems hard to imagine. I think in 40 years of debating something, you have plenty of time to tie yourself in rhetorical knots. <laughs> but as well, like bringing it back to your point about, uh, you know, that, that this, uh, the, the original design of forcing people down into this underground concourse was never about pedestrian safety. It was a deal with developers. Um, but also, I just want to flag this argument uh, about it being safety. Uh, the absence of pedestrians is not a safe pedestrian realm. Like you, you can't. <laughs> the, the argument seems to be that like they'll be safe if they just never come here. <laughs> it's a pretty pedestrian light intersection. Obviously, I don't just mean people crossing, but I spent quite a lot of time at the intersection, and there are people walking around for sure. There's those office buildings there, but it doesn't seem to. Be, it's not a destination for pedestrians. I wouldn't see a lot of people. I mean, if you're a tourist, you stay in the hotel, you might go to Port Germain because it's this iconic intersection. Mm-hmm. But then you get there and you're like, what am I going to do here? Right. <laughs> you know? Um, and, you know, and speaking of safety, frankly, it's not good for cyclists either, the current situation. I mean, I was there for quite a while and I, I don't have that notebook with me, but I think I counted roughly as many cy- cyclists on the sidewalk as yeah. going through the intersection. 
and I don't condone people riding their bikes on the sidewalk, but I will say that that is a very hostile intersection to cyclists as well. As a fairly confident uh, urban cyclist myself, I would not. I just wouldn't bike portage at all. I, I, it would feel like taking my life in my hands and you're you're not only competing with those multiple lanes of traffic uh, multiple turning lanes like you said but you're also competing with buses turning in and out it's it's uh it really is a freeway through the heart of of winnipeg's downtown which is remarkable because when you look at the structure of portage Maine, like look at the bones of it it's a street that has enormous potential you know it's a broad street with big wide sidewalks i mean you could do so much with a street like that from an urban point of view uh, choosing to use it for just removing cars as quickly as possible, that's one choice, but it's a very limited choice when you think of all the things you could do with that street. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, uh, uh, recently there was a, a debate at city council uh, that they, they wanted to... Uh, um, they, they approved uh, improvements uh, to the tune of uh, $3.5 million uh, with the goal, the ultimate goal being understood to be uh, opening opening the intersection to pedestrians and the vote, uh, it had a fairly w- won by a fairly wide margin of, uh, 10, 10 to five. But, uh, one thing I flagged was that, uh, one of the councillors who voted against, obviously Jeff Broati, who we heard voted against it, but there was also councillor Janice Lukes, uh, who's sort of, um, she's sort of well known in, in Winnipeg as, as being a sort of cyclist, uh, advocate. Um, she, she has been one of the main people pushing, uh, improving the cycling network in, in Winnipeg. Uh, she's, she's the urbanist counselor. Uh, she's, we've spoken to her in previous episodes. So I was really surprised, uh, that she voted this way and I had to ask her why. And so I'm going to take you through what, what turned out to be a, a bit of a psychodrama and, and a, a very hard moment for, uh, counselor Luke's. I was surprised to see you um, on the no side of a debate that, uh, as an outsider, seemed the main thing seemed to be, do we let people cross the street at Portage and Maine? Right, right. Probably one of the hardest votes I've had to do at City Hall so far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'll tell you what the it was it was basically it was twofold. Okay, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, the current mayor, as much as he professes to be um, one who wants to do public consultation and engagement, um, doesn't. So this report came forward uh, on a Friday afternoon, and the following Wednesday, or seven days, seven business days later, we voted on it. So that is a very short window of time to review what ended up being 400 pages of information and reaching out to your constituents and talking them, talking to them in meaningful conversations. And uh, I, I wanted to ask you, um, your ward, would you say your ward is typically uh, car drivers? Well, we have a very weak, very, very weak transit system. Mm-hmm. So, and I just was able to get transit to suburbia. And that's a whole other, you know, a whole other realm of, you know, high-frequency transit, using transit, how should transit be used? But, you know, the interesting thing about all of this is when you're a councillor and you're elected, you you come in and you inherit, and I inherited. It's a beautiful suburbia, but it's out there, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, yeah, this was really difficult. But but there's a lot of soul-searching on this one. But, you know, um, I do believe... And another councillor had made a motion, Councillor Gillingham, to get to the point where we know what this is going to cost us, and then we vote on it again. Mm-hmm. I am hoping 
that there will be outreach and public consultation speaking to suburbia so that they can understand it. And I'm hoping that we can improve our transit system, and we are. In the south, into the very ward that I represent, we've got a brand-new rapid transit corridor opening in 2020, a $465-plus million uh, initiative, which you know, joy of joys. We'll get people out of the car onto the really improved transit system. So, um, I, you know, this is very difficult. It was very difficult. However, in terms of the time frame, I mean, uh, Mayor Bowman ran on this uh, a couple years back. This this was a, a pledge that he made uh, uh, as part of his campaign. So it, it can't have come out of the blue. No, it didn't come out of the blue, but there's a lot of things that people run on and they don't always stick it right they don't always i mean there's many things that he campaigned on that he didn't adhere to mm-hmm. and it's one thing to say i'm going to do something it's another thing to actually have meaningful conversations to explain to the people why you want it done and and i think this is a perfect example of how uh from a public consultation perspective how things can go off the rails because through his three years there was another councillor that absolutely was adamant against against Porter Germain. So he was always out presenting his approach. And the mayor wouldn't say anything. He had this report that was being studied. So when you have a lack or a void of factual information, you've got, you know, two conflicting perspectives on this, people don't know what to believe. So when people don't know what to believe, they they go to what they just normally believe. They default to the norm. And so so what's happened is people aren't sure of the facts. There's misrepresentation. There's misinformation. There's hidden information. There's all this noise around Portage and Maine. Mm-hmm. There's not anything that comes out about how this can benefit people in the suburbs. Right. And, you know, Winnipeg, uh, we've got a downtown, but we've got a very large area of suburbs all around the city. So there was nothing that came out speaking to those people. And people are hard to adjust to change. So if you want them to change, you have to work with them. You have to help them. You have to help them understand. You don't come out in seven days and say, here's what it's going to cost. We're going to uh, go down this path, you know, whether you like it or not, and and we're going to uh, make change. We're going to make fundamentally uh, uh, change our traffic behavior, our walkability, everything downtown, right? And I see that as good, but you know what? not a lot of people did. Sure. Uh, So this will almost certainly come back to council in some fashion, uh, correct? Yes. Uh, Yes, it most certainly will. And so what do you think your thoughts are going to be on it going forward? I mean, I I have to imagine that you at least in principle support opening the the intersection to pedestrians. You know what? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely in principle, I understand the benefits of a a vibrant, walkable downtown. I absolutely do. But it's not all about Janice. It's about the people I represent. So I hope that we will have some time now and and that they will give me the tools that the mayor's office and whoever consultation folks will, will start going into suburbia and helping them understand. I can't do it myself, but um, I, I hope that we will talk to people and and help them understand the benefits of this. Now, on that same note, it's going to be challenging because 
we're, I'm going to say we're on the verge of the financial fiscal cliff in Winnipeg. You know, we've got old infrastructure, we've got priorities. And again, it's all about what are the priorities. And that's the difficult part about this role is what are the priorities? I don't feel right now um, the ward that I represent sees this as a priority because there's no schools, there's no community center, there's no... 40,000 people out there with no amenities. Um, it's going to be very challenging. And I may, you know, I may have to, we'll see how the vote goes. But I, when you're an elected official by the people who trust you with that power, you have to, you have to support them. And, you know, what your own personal beliefs and personal opinions are, sometimes you have to put that aside. And it's extremely difficult. It's like, horrendously difficult, but they've put their trust in you. So she's having this sort of crisis uh, debating, you know, what the role of a leader even is. Is it to vote her conscience and, uh, you know, because she's trusting that uh, she is the voice of the people or, or is it to uh, try and um, enact what she, what she feels is the will of the people, which it sounds like she has a more suburban constituency uh, who uh, maybe aren't on side with opening the, uh, the intersection to pedestrians uh, you have to feel for someone like that who, when she talks about how change is hard. I mean, it is, it is hard, but the downtown of Winnipeg has been changing. I, mean, I, I spoke about that a little bit a moment ago, but, you know, if you go back, some people I talked to said, you know, in the 50s, nobody spent any time along the riverfront because it was basically this industrial zone. So kids would go and play there, but it was officially a place you didn't go at all. The city had basically turned its back on the river. Mm-hmm. And now the Forks is an incredibly popular destination. Um, I think it, someone said that it's got, it gets more visitors than Banff. Now, obviously, Banff is, you know, not a major city. So, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, there's a, there's a captive market for the Forks. Uh, but it's year-round visitors. It gets a lot of people. Um, they're planning a, a major development now, which would run up alongside the train tracks called Railside, which would have a lot of people living in that area. Whereas now for, the Forks is a place you go and visit and then, and then you leave. Mm-hmm. Having people live there will change it into a neighborhood, which would be a phenomenal difference. Uh, you've got people living in the downtown itself. I mean, there's someone I know who moved there about 20 years ago. And he said, when you moved there, there was almost no one else living there. Right. It was remarkable. He said, you know, you kind of go out at night and it'd be like you and the sketchy guy. Um, and now it's a super, you know, for better or for worse, it's a super gentrified uh, neighborhood, the exchange district. Right. Um, these changes have happened and are happening. And so the, the question, I guess, for Winnipeg is, do you just let these things happen and not sort of bring in the infrastructure that's that's associated with that. I mean, or, or do you say we've got a neighborhood now where possibly tens of thousands of people will be living? Um, you know, the broader downtown, not just rail side, and a lot of people are going to be walking around. Do we have to? Do we have to acknowledge that and change the, the reality for them? I mean, it's not it's not dissimilar, frankly, to you know Toronto allowing tons of development at, at Liberty Village mm-hmm. and then turning around and going, oh man we got no transit that's good enough for that. And then like, what are we going to do? <laughs> um, so you have to do something. You have to, you know, maybe would it be better to do it in advance? Uh, yeah, of course. But once you're pre- presented with the situation, you have to react. I mean, if you're in Winnipeg and you're presented with a situation of a lot of people are going to be living downtown, most of them will be, you know, working, many of them will be working downtown. They'll be, you know, going to restaurants. Their life will be downtown. Not, it's not a place you'll go to work during the day and then leave. You have, the city has to adapt to, to, to that new reality. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, Councillor Luke seems to be saying that to, if she had more time, she could get her constituency on board. Uh, uh, you know, I, I did bring up that uh, this isn't a new idea, uh, but uh, she she wanted more uh, uh, robust conversation about it before she could go ahead with something that she approves of in principle. And even the mayor himself told me that uh, you know it's not a matter of just doing it; uh, it has to be done right. And there there is this incremental approach from everyone who even though they they really want to see this change happen they're, they're like we got to take it slow we we can't just jump into it even though you literally just did jump over the barricades and cross the street like that's that's the thing about this issue that that always makes it so interesting to me is that when you hear Councilor Browati talk and when you hear uh, Councilor Luke's talk and the mayor and you hear all these different sides of the debate uh you start to lose the forest for the trees uh, and you have to kind of step back and remind yourself that we're talking about crossing the street. Bigger cities than Winnipeg, uh, you know, larger interse- intersections with a more high, higher volume of uh, traffic, uh, they they have intersections open to pedestrians. It, the, the mayor told me that uh, Portage and Maine, even though it is iconic, is not even one of the top five busiest intersections in Winnipeg. And all those other intersections that are busier you are allowed to cross as a pedestrian. So how, how do you think people get snared in this minutia? <laughs> you know, it's, it's really interesting as the outsider to, to come into a place like that and try and figure out why it's such a big deal. Like why, why it's so hard to make that, you know, start from the premise of the people who say they want this change to be made, you know, and I'm sure they're frustrated because they're like, well, why is this so hard to do this? Why is this so, 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 so why is this this log jam? Uh, and then the people who don't want it, they're like, how could you not understand how important this is that I can drive through this intersection without stopping? And that's why I think the incremental approach um, is probably the most logical because it allows the city to open a bit of it and then can sort of, it's almost like a pilot. I mean, it's not going to be called that, but it's, you know, we'll open a bit of it. We'll see what happens. We'll see the impact on traffic. We'll adjust signals elsewhere if need be, and then open it a little bit more, uh, you know. I assume that ultimately all sides will open and they'll probably end up with like a scramble intersection eventually. Right. Um, which has a lot of logic here because then you can get around the pedestrians and cars mixing when they're turning because that's one of the biggest concerns with the delay is that it's, a, it's an intersection where a lot of people turn as opposed to, you know, if it's just going straight through, cars and pedestrians go the same direction, it's, there's, no, there's no problem. Uh, whereas the, so the scramble would allow people to turn and it would also allow pedestrians to cross safely. Um, but yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know why it gets so get so far into the weeds so quickly there mm-hmm. on this issue. Uh, and I think, you know, maybe it's because people who want the change or don't want the change um, are, have thought about it so much that it, it's not an argument like, does it make sense to have pedestrians cross or does it not? It's, you know, what about this issue on page 47 of the consultant's report in the appendix? What about that? Yeah, we you must know? talk about it. Uh, and so I, I think it's, you know, it maybe makes sense that it's been sort of log, you know, caught in this quagmire for so long. But they're they're being forced to act, and I, I, you know, you may have heard this yourself. But you know, the forty year lease is coming up. Mm-hmm. It's something something has to happen. I mean, they could just turn around and let the thing roll over. And I understand that it would just roll over to an automatic another forty years, mm-hmm. uh, which is hard to imagine. Um, Eighty years of this current situation, whether you like it or not, it's such an enormous span of time. Absolutely, to, to lock in a city into a certain configuration. Um, so something had to change. And although it's obviously a difficult discussion in Winnipeg, it's probably best they're having the discussion at least. 
and that discussion will be ongoing. Uh, Oliver, I, I know you'll follow it. I'll be following it as well. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, uh, how can people find you uh, if they want to see your work? Uh, well, the Globe and Mail um, publishes nationally with my work. Uh, I, I'm based out of Toronto. I do a fair amount of Toronto reporting, of course, but I do have a national focus for transportation. You can also follow me on Twitter. And what's that handle? More underscore Oliver. Okay. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. Always a pleasure. And that's the show. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your walking group, the entire starting lineup of the Winnipeg Jets, and of course, your granny. As always, a like, share, subscribe on iTunes will help us reach new listeners. I make this show with Neil Hinchley, who composes our music, and you can find his music on SoundCloud at Track82. That's all spelled out. Thanks, Cliff. No problem. Please hit us up with any questions, comments, concerns, or scoops. You can reach us on Twitter at Spacing Radio. That's all one word. Or you can email me at glennbowerman at spacing.ca. That's G-L-Y-N-B-O-W-E-R-M-A-N at spacing.ca. Visit our website at spacing.ca or visit our city store at 401 Richmond Street West in Toronto. Thank you to The Weaker Thens for the use of their song, One Great City, off the album Reconstruction Site. Winnipeg is a wonderful place, and we thank everyone there for helping us tell this story. In the meantime, Spacing's legal team has counseled. I'm compelled to ask that you please not hop any road barriers. Cheers. Thank you.